1: Coming up this hour, what are some healthy ways to respond to criticism? And later, we're joined by Todd Chapman to talk about how you can partner with SOS International Ministry and help rescue women and children today. You're listening to The Common Good. Welcome back to The Common Good on this Wednesday evening. My name is Aubrey Sampson, and I am alongside my very special, very handsome, very uh, charismatic co-host, my very own husband, Kevin Sampson, is here with us today.
2: Thank you for inviting me, my beautiful wife. It's yes. great to be here. We're
1: going to make everyone gag a little bit. We're going to be a little <laughs> too cutesy. Well, our my normal co-host, Brian Fromm, is on vacation with his family. I heard from him yesterday. He's having a great time. But Brian, we're glad you're enjoying your vacation so that Kevin could be here today. This is very, very fun. For those of you who don't know, my husband, Kevin, is a lead pastor of the church that we planted about six years ago, Renewal Church. And we've been married for 21 years. We've got three sons. So later, we'll talk about parenting and marriage and all of those kinds of yes, fun things. Things. But um, something, Kevin, I thought might be really fun for us to talk about is the thing that has taken, broken the internet this week. Literally. And that is the story of...
2: Will Smith and yeah, Chris Rock. Yeah, Will Smith.
1: I was hoping you'd get it right. I was thinking you might say something like... The Lyft conference yesterday at AM 1160, which was amazing, by the way. But yes, Will Smith and Chris Rock have broken the Internet. And just for anyone who's maybe living under a rock and doesn't know what happened, basically, Chris Rock made a joke at the expense of Will Smith's wife, Jada Pinkett-Smith, And uh, kind of unbeknownst to anybody, Will Smith walked up on stage, decked the guy, swore at him. We don't need to say what he said, but said, you know, don't talk about my wife like that in lesser terms, essentially. Yes. And it people have gone crazy over this. Our 15 year old son was telling us yesterday that it has been the most like in history, the most watched video in a 24 hour time period. So it is going wild. Kevin, before we even talk about what happened, why do you think it's going so crazy?
2: Why do I think? Well, you have you have a person like Will Smith yeah. who is an international superstar. Superstar. Yeah. So anything he does that's true is going to be viral, yeah. especially when it's juicy.
1: Yeah, especially when it's this the nature of this.
2: Yeah, the Oscars are yeah, everybody around the world is already watching yeah. it. Yeah.
1: Okay, so, so okay, so it's a big deal. It's become a big deal. Will Smith has later come out and apologized, saying that like no act sure. of violence is ever justifiable, but also like it it was a sensitive issue because of his wife's uh, alopecia, and he felt like it was just you know it it. Uh, Triggered him, right? And I think, Kevin, you were telling me you read Will Smith's autobiography, and there was a piece of this that made sense to you because of something in his childhood. Can you tell our listeners about that?
2: Yeah, I think even before that, to even recognize that there is a ton going on here, and there's very different perspectives that each of us inhabit in Mm -hmm. our lives. And so the way that people are viewing it, it can be viewed from very different angles. That's true. And affect people in very different ways. I think that's part of why it's so viral. Um, but yeah, I read his Will Smith autobiography. I, it was great. It was super interesting. But he, he he had this moment when he was young. His father was very abusive physically towards his mother, mm. and he has these really these memories as a as a child. Uh, really, where he's poured shame upon himself as he's grown older, reliving those moments and not doing anything to defend his mom. Mm. And, and so he, he I don't want to to interrupt you, but like, that's,
1: I don't want to interrupt you, but like, that's a, a poor, like a poor child. I feel sad for the little inner Will Smith who has that like on his shoulders as a kid because no kid should have to bear that responsibility. But anyway, go ahead.
2: So there is no, yeah. So this is, this is more just like a psychological perspective that, so Will Smith just, at least he's written about this. And, and so then he steps into this moment where his wife Mm. The mother of his children is being um, put down. Yeah. And and so does he not? He Yeah, so he's triggered. Mm-hmm. And that was, you know, how, that's how he responded.
1: Yeah. Okay. So, so that gives us a little bit of history of why he may have reacted the way he did. In some sense, I thought this, his reaction is like a microcosm of the world right now. Like, I feel like there's so much trauma, anger, frustration. Yes. Anxiety, yeah. isolation, vitriol coming out of the pandemic that's been undealt with. And so we're, we are seeing more and more and more stories like this. Mm. And I felt like this was just a picture of like, this is the kind of where the world is emotionally right now. Just
2: pure exhaustion.
1: Yeah. I think that's it. Pure and,
2: exhaustion. And everyone has a moment when you, ch- you, you just break, you break. And yeah. He broke on international television. television.
1: Okay. So a couple things. So one, I we will talk about what we think. So I'm going to say what I think first. One, I, unfortunately, and I don't, I mean, I have an autoimmune disease, so I would not want someone to make fun of my autoimmune disease publicly. That said, you sort of know in that context that like jokes will be made at celebrities' expense. That's sure. always been true sure. at the Oscars. So this wasn't new. So I don't want to be so cold as to be like, get a sense of humor, but there's a little parting that's like, you know what you were getting into, but then the weirder part to me is how quickly you saw Will Smith. Camera went to him. He laughed at the joke, and then suddenly he's coming on stage, and it was like the the emotional roller coaster that we saw in the flip of a switch. And I think. There's been probably a public persona of Will Smith who's mm-hmm. like the happy, good guy. What we saw was maybe a picture of the real behind the scenes dude who's like, do not mess with me. Like, I'm really wealth- West Philadelphia born and raised. Like, I'm coming for you. You know what I mean? And, yeah. and so in one sense, it made me, it was weird because I I don't like what he did. I don't like his response. I liked that he was in defense of his wife. There was something cool about that. I liked that he wasn't putting on, like, a Will Smith show, like we were getting to see the real him. I thought his response was way violent and over-the-top and unjustifiable. So, like, I had mixed feelings myself as I was watching it. What did you think?
2: 100% agree with you. There's, yeah, a whole lot of things. The, the one thing that was just incredible was Chris Rock.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah, he handled it beautifully. The way,
2: yeah, just the, yeah, the way he handled that, the way he held himself. Mm-hmm um in check and understood the bigger picture in that moment Mm -hmm. was yeah it really felt like as a as a man as a human being like wow that is that's how i would want to respond yeah um yeah i mean i think that's how god would want anyone to respond Mm. there's just a like a firm gentleness in it
1: Um, and for those who don't know if you if you happen to miss it the way he responded was basically by he kind of breathed and went oh and then he said well that was the greatest night in television history and he made a joke at yeah, it really yep. at his own expense and then just moved through so it was yeah. a very professional response go ahead kevin
2: yeah and it just was yeah incredible um, and chris rock has not come out and said anything yeah. um in response but we know he didn't want to file a police report yeah and would have been justified in in doing so right and yeah i think you know a lot of people are thinking about like what happened why was why did Will Smith do it? Mm-hmm. What were all the reasons going on in his mind? But but I'm still like, man, what is what is Chris Rock? How is he?
1: Right. I'm anxious to see what One, he'll how say. is he? Yeah, is he okay? Um,
2: and yeah, and again we're put in the place of speculation to, you know, figure out you know what's Chris Rock thinking, but Just at least what he portrayed was uh, really incredible.
1: Okay, so let's move with the next minute or so that we have. Let's move pastorally, because you're a pastor. I'm a pastor. uh, Brian's a pastor. we got lots of pastors that listen, and we have lots of Christians that listen. If your loved one is insulted, okay? Mm -hmm. And whether or not that was a true insult, we don't need to have that conversation. If If you're offended by what someone says about your loved one, what is a godly way to respond?
2: Well, I think there's some just pre-work a person needs to be able to know like when I need to respond, you know, what's going on inside of me and to be able to know like, wow, I'm, I'm really angry. Um, Mm. and so how like aware that, yeah, to be aware of that. Mm -hmm. So when you're really angry to be able to be like, Hey, now it may not be the best time to respond. Yeah. Yeah. One, And then obviously use your words rather Um, than your, just your, yeah, use your words and, I think really come to a place of vulnerability to be able to say, mm. "I this was hard. This hurt me because mm. of what you said." Mm. And and go from there. And th- yeah, that would be a the best place to respond. Yeah,
1: I, I love that. Acknowledge that you feel hurt. Acknowledge that it triggers you. Take some time so you don't respond in the emotion and the anger, and then go yeah. back and have a conversation. Like, "Hey, this hurt me. Here's why." See if something can result from there. That would have been interesting if that would have happened, but it certainly wouldn't have broken the internet. <laughs>
3: When I was 12 years old, my mother went to the casinos. Sometimes she wouldn't come back home. I didn't know what to feed my brother. It was very hard. I started walking the streets at 13 years old. I would have around five clients each day. The young girls in the brothels are given fake IDs. They're way too young to be with the older people. Bars get more customers if they have young girls. That's what they look for. I'm forced to do things I don't want to do. Men take advantage of my need for money to survive. Every day I know I'm in danger because of this work. I know when I leave home, I might not come back because of what I do is dangerous.
4: I have many needs and I'm all by myself. No one supports me. I've been beaten. My face was disfigured.
0: Then I was thrown into the local forest.
3: I can never stop because I have two children. I have to think about them. I'm the only one who can take care of them. I started when I was 15 years old. She told me I was going to be dancing. It turned out to be a lot. I felt like I was being raped with the permission. I felt like I was being raped with the
1: There are more than 40 million slaves in the world today. One in four of these slaves are children and young girls. Hey, everyone, welcome to The Common Good. We are joined once again by our friends from SOS International. My husband, Kevin, is our special co-host today, and we're also joined by Todd Chapman. We want to share with you the power of this ministry, again, SOS International, which is on the ground rescuing Rehabilitating young children who have been thrust into what is just pure evil, wouldn't you say, Todd?
5: Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, you listen to those clips from, uh, and by the way, those are those are real uh, women that are trapped. Uh, in a life that they didn't choose. They wouldn't have chosen, yeah. uh, but because of deep poverty, there they they're, they find themselves. And uh, you know they're looking for a way out. And that's what we get to do and have been doing all month long here on 1160 Hope, uh, providing the opportunity for these women to choose a path to freedom. And uh, you are making that possible mm-hmm. with every gift that you give at uh, 866-343-4717.
1: That's right. You can also go to 1160hope.com and at the top of the page is an SOS international banner. And I think what Todd's saying is so important for us listeners to hear is that we, we, you know, we just heard a really devastating story of a, of a young woman who thought she was going into, you know, dancing. Ultimately, she was being raped with permission. And I know that's hard to hear as you're listening to the radio right now. Maybe you're driving home, you're driving home from work, but I want you to hear listeners that there is, I mean, these, these women and children, these stories are not exaggerating. Uh, They are in literal prisons um, being sex trafficked but sos international is on the ground doing the work of god rescuing these enslaved folks and your gift of 150 dollars today goes towards incredible rehab and uh, rescuing work todd can you kind of explain to our listeners who aren't familiar with sos international what some of the work on the ground is
5: Yeah. So two components of SOS International and what they do. And they've been around for 20 years. They're working in Asia. They're working in Central America. We can't really be more specific than that because of uh, security reasons. Because, uh, you know, when you're talking about fighting against sex trafficking, you really are going up against organized crime. Mm. And, you know, we live in a very connected world now with the Internet. So we'll just leave it kind of that those broad theaters of operation. But, you know, for 20 years now, they've been working and they they do two primary things. Number one, prevention and then restoration restoration and rehabilitation ministry when women and children make that choice to come out of of slavery and sex trafficking so the first part is really important uh because you know, understand that a lot of the reason why these women and these kids end up in that situation to begin with is because they're just desperately poor. That's right. Uh, they need the basic mm-hmm. stuff. You know, they need food, they need water and off and traffickers prey on that. So what they'll do is they'll come into communities that they know are severely impoverished and they'll say, Hey, uh, why don't you let us take your kids, your daughters, and we'll take them to the city. We'll give them good jobs and mm-hmm. they can send money back to help your family. And then eventually you'll be able to come and join them. It, It's, lies. They lie to them to steal these children. And then they're sucked into the, into this life. Mm -hmm. Also, likewise, women, you know, they're desperate to feed their families. And so Uh, you know, out of just a lack of options, they begin to uh, prostitute themselves. They begin to like you just cited, you know, that young lady said, I thought I was going to be dancing and then it turned out to be something totally different. Mm. And so SOS has found across 20 years, if they can meet those foundational needs of food, water, employment, education, skills, training, they can prevent a lot of women and kids from being pulled into trafficking if they find themselves there the other thing that they do is they move into communities and they begin to just build relationships Mm. in those communities with women that are in that lifestyle Mm. and the ultimate goal of course is to to get them out of that but here's the thing that i think is important and it's really really beautiful Uh, they always allow the woman to make the choice love that Yeah, they don't go in and they don't do rescue raids and things like that because they've just found that doesn't work and and frankly it's very very dangerous not only for the women but also for the the people that do the work with sos but they found that as they build relationships with these women they can begin to speak into their life and say hey there's a better way there's another way i know Mm. you don't like you can't see it from here but there is Mm. and if you'll just make that choice when you're when you're ready we've got a safe place for you to go and that safe place is what you provide when you give your gifts of $150 or $300, whatever God lays on your heart. That's right. For every $150 you give, you provide a month's worth of. Of a uh, safe shelter at a, at a, at a safe house, at a refuge, uh, you know, like a rescue facility. They're going to get counseling. They oftentimes have medical needs. Mm-hmm. They're going to need uh, food, obviously, to eat and their kids because these moms, they're going to bring their kids with them when they decide to come out. Yep. And then uh, you enable SOS to teach them a skill and, and uh, give them a path on a new life. So this is really a beautiful picture of what uh, the gospel is all about. That's right. And uh, we as followers of Christ, we need to be a part of this. And, you know, maybe it never even crossed your mind that God could use you mm. uh, to pull a woman uh, and her children out of that type of light, nightmarish life. But, you know, Aubrey, that's the opportunity that we have in front of us right now.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. And you can follow that calling from God to help rescue these women and children by calling 866-343-4717 or by clicking on the SOS international banner at 1160hope.com. And Todd, I love what you said, because this isn't just impacting one life, it is impacting generations. Because like you said, when a woman is rescued, she eventually takes her her kids out. Or if a woman stays, then her daughters uh, are Uh, traditionally I guess locked in that pattern as well and so when you give today again at 1160 hope.com you are giving to rescue and change the trajectory of generations for the name of Jesus you're helping to set these women and these girls free and so this is a powerful opportunity for you today
3: I hated my lifestyle I wanted to heal myself I felt repulsed by being with a man for money I don't want my children to follow my steps That's why I do what I do I don't like it But I do it out of necessity Not because I want to
1: Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Aubrey Sampson. I'm joined by my husband as a special co-host, Kevin Sampson. And we are thrilled to be once again with Todd Chapman and SOS International. We've been partnering with them all month to raise awareness and to raise funds to rescue women and girls in situations like we just heard. And that to me is so devastating to think about. mean you think about what's happening to these young girls um, and these women, just what's happening? externally to them, which is just so horrific and so evil, the fact that they've been imprisoned to sex trafficking, but then to think about their internal states. And I think that's what makes you want to cry at night, Todd, is thinking about what these women and these children are facing every single day. So it's not just the pain and the evil, but then on top of that, there's shame and there's guilt and there's, there's heartache. What I love about the heart of God and what I love about this ministry, SOS International, is today... You can be a part of making a difference both in a woman and a young child's soul and also in their external situation as well. And you can give right now by going to the SOS international banner at 1160 hope.com or by calling 866-343-4717.
2: And I believe right now your gift doubles today. So you can help twice as many women. There's a generous donor who's going to really double whatever you're able to give right now. And Todd, would really be curious, how have you, how did you get involved with this ministry and, and really helping raise money yeah. for something so significant?
5: Well, I, um, so I just, I became aware of SOS uh, about a year ago. I was in uh, Dallas and this is, this is what I do with my organization. We help uh, nonprofits do fundraising and uh, had uh, honestly never worked with a ministry that was active in this space. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, uh, first of all, just a huge blessing to be able to engage with them because I so believe in what they do. Yeah. But, but as I spent time with Hannah and Christy uh, from the ministry, and I think they're going to be here on the common good later in the week. That's right. Um, uh, you know, I just I, I learned so many things that were just gut wrenching. Mm. I mean, things that I mean, I thought I knew a little bit about this, but I've, I realized it went so much deeper and was so much more evil uh, than I ever had imagined mm. and so much more pervasive. I mean, I didn't know that uh, there were 40 over 40 million slaves uh, in the world. And that yeah. number probably is much smaller than, you know, than in reality. Right. Because it's right. hard to figure that out. Right. right. But I, I just love I think this is so. I just think uh, this this is the essence of what uh, what the gospel is all about and yes. it's the essence of what we as followers of Jesus should be all about as well. You know, maybe in your personal life you have a story uh, about uh, how God delivered you from uh, your life in sin before you came to know him as Lord mm. and Savior. And uh, I just want you to tap into the emotion of that. You know, when I think about my story man to this day, you know, and I've, I've been a follower of Jesus for a long time and mm. I'm so grateful for what he's done in my life and mm. continues to do in my life. I can't imagine where I would be without, without him. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the reality is there are women and children who don't know him as savior and they're trapped in this horrific yeah. lifestyle. Yeah. And as Christians, we should, we should be so passionate mm-hmm. about helping to free them. That's right. And so I hope you just to feel that within you tap into you. And, and you know, when you think about it, Look, uh, you know, things are expensive right now. I get that. And we're asking you to make a sacrificial gift. But if you think about $150 within the context of redeeming a life.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
5: It's nothing at all, right? Right, right? And and God will will um, more than repay that money to you in terms of the blessing and the That's satisfaction right. of just knowing that that uh, you allowed or uh, that He was able to use you to be a part of this. But but here's the rub. Now we you know we're grateful that 1160 helped set aside this month uh, to uh, to raise money for this uh, this situation, and uh, we're we're hoping that we can see about 80 months worth of rescue provided, and we're not quite there yet. And the month is getting kind of short. That's we're right. The, we're, yeah. almost, we're almost we're Almost done here. Yeah, but uh, Kevin, you're exactly right. We do have a very generous friend that's going to double whatever you give. So this is the perfect time to give that $150 or $300 gift. I mean, let's quantify that $300 from you, two months of rescue, two months more on top of that, so you well could be providing a way out of slavery for four women with that gift of $300. Mm. It's amazing.
1: Yeah, amen. Oh, I love that. I love that we can do that today simply by going to the SOS International banner at 1160hope.com and give today and I think Todd something that um, you and I have talked about with Christy and Hannah at SOS is that some of these stories I mean there are young girls actually in cages and I know this is hard to hear it's hard to talk about but I want our listeners to hear that because these are our If you think about any listener that has grandchildren any listener that has children any listener that has sisters like these are our daughters these are our children these are our sisters and how dear and precious they are to the heart of God and this is an opportunity for us like literally i think when people are asking when people are praying when these these young girls are in cages saying god where are you we get to answer that question by giving today god is near god cares about you god loves you and therefore i'm going to step up today by going to the sos international banner i'm going to go to 1160 hope.com click that button and give a gift that's actually going to answer a prayer and answer a longing and actually answer a heartache in one of these young, precious girls and women's hearts. Like you said, Todd, this is um, this is the heart of God, and this is what Christians are called to do.
5: Yeah, absolutely. You know, when I think about these situations, so I have three daughters and a daughter-in-law, and I have uh, a little granddaughter, mm-hmm. and so for me, you know, the mo- uh, and I'm going to challenge you. This Maybe this will help you find the motivation to respond if you have a daughter or even if you have sons, because boys become victimized by this. That's as well, right, right. That's right. Uh, but, you know, I, I want you to think about them. So my daughter's names are, are Bethany and Chloe and Maddie. And I've got a daughter in law, Libby. And I've got a little brand, a grandbaby, one year old named sailor. Mm. And you know, it's, a, it's only, I mean, how blessed are we that we were born into a situation where this is not a threat to us for the most part, I'm not saying it can't happen here, right. here in America because it does. Right. But if, if, if this hit close to home, this touched your family, what would you do, or what would you mm-hmm. hope someone would do mm-hmm. to free your daughters, your granddaughters, your right. grandsons that's from, right. from this this hell? It truly is hell yeah. here on earth. Yeah. Take that feeling, those emotions, and uh, use them to uh, to to pull out that credit card, to dig deep, mm-hmm. and give the most generous gift you can. And and I can say this: I've been so impressed with SOS the way they steward your generosity. Mm-hmm. I mean, they built they milk every bit of good and love and hope and restoration and redemption out of every dollar that's given to. Mm-hmm you can trust them yeah. and you can know that your 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 de- your donation is going to make so much good in the world.
1: That's right. And again, you can give a donation by going to 1160hope.com and clicking on that SOS International banner today. Todd, um do you have another story that you could share with us?
5: Yeah, I would love to. Um this is, uh, let's see. I've okay, got so many. I got to figure out which one I want.
1: <laughs> so many good ones. Yeah, actually, Powerful let's,
5: ones. Let's hear from, uh, uh from uh, Christy. She's the director of operations. And uh, this is not so much a story, but you know, we're, we're asking for $150. This is Christy talking about what that $150 does.
6: So I'll tell you right now, it costs $150 a month to completely support a woman. It it supports her through that process of her mental health being addressed, her physical health being addressed, and being equipped with vocational training. It's just $150 a month for every month that she's in, in that program. Food, housing, all of it we get a lot is people wanting to be part of the rescue, right? Like we watch the shows and we've seen enough SEAL teams go in and rescue. And, and honestly, like one of the things we tell people is one of the most effective ways that you can be a part of the rescue is in mobilizing funds so that when we encounter girls that need to be rescued, the funds are there that we can instantly put that into action, right? Because any delay, any stall, traffickers are clever and they move things around. And it's, and so it's hard because if you don't have that rescue and prevention fund that you can easily mobilize, it becomes very difficult when you step into communities where traffickers either are on their way to or have just come from. Like you, you have to have those resources at your disposal to be able to basically step in and create emergency plans quickly to secure women
5: you know as i as i hear christy share that again i'm just uh, i'm struck um i'm struck guys by that that passage of scripture that says, while we, we were yet sinners, Christ died for
6: us. Beautiful. This
5: is a proactive response. That's right. You are paving the way for these women to come into freedom and to uh, come into redemption. So, you know, uh, man, I, I just want to really challenge you and encourage you. Please dig deep. Maybe you've heard this throughout the month and you haven't responded yet. Maybe you're hearing for the very first time and mm-hmm. now you're like, wow, I didn't know this was a thing. Yeah. It is a thing. It's a huge thing in the world and uh, we can make a difference. You can make a difference right now. Mm-hmm.
1: Oh, thanks, Todd. You can make that difference by going to the SOS International banner at 1160hope.com. Again, go to 1160hope.com. There's an SOS International banner at the top of the page. You can click on that and give today, or you can call 866-343-4717. Todd, thanks so much for being here with us today. always
5: love it. Thank you.
1: So, Kevin, we were just talking about some lessons you've learned in leadership throughout COVID. Mm-hmm. One of the things that you talked about was um, self-care Another thing that you talked about was bringing in some other uh, minority voices in the middle of the racial protests that are in our church. And then another was just remembering, like, Jesus is on the throne. Jesus is for us. One of the things that we didn't get to talk about that I thought would be meaningful for our listeners is something kind of painful and hard to talk about. But in the middle of the well, not in the middle of it, just last fall, frankly, nearing Mm -hmm. the end of the pandemic, um, your mom died from complications due to covid. She did. And that was um, interestingly both unexpected, but we also said, Kevin's mom has has had a severe uh, number of autoimmune diseases. Mm -hmm. We said, if mom gets COVID, mom's dying of COVID. And not that we were wishing that on her, but we were all being very careful and urging her to be careful because we knew that her immune system couldn't take it. And lo and behold, unfortunately, that became a reality, shockingly. Um,
2: because it just, you're never ready for it. You're never never ready ready for for it. it. Um,
1: so, you know, Kevin, I know this is a hard thing for you to talk about. I know you're still processing it. It just had happened in October, but obviously we've got a lot of listeners who are, um, walking through something difficult, maybe lost a loved one of their own of COVID. And I would love to just hear like, what was that journey like for you first when you began to hear the news and then how you've been processing it since?
2: Well, you may be, be better at speaking towards you know, a process that could be helpful for other people. You wrote a book about it.
1: I did. That's It's called The Louder Song, Listening for Hope in the Midst of Lament.
2: Yeah. And so I am, uh, it's more of a journey that I'm learning. Yeah. Um, what did I, yeah, it was, it was, yeah, a lot of, a lot of sadness. Mm-hmm. And I, I think the journey has yeah. just been to acknowledge and recognize like how much sadness there really is mm-hmm. that, Yeah, there's, there's just it was she passed away October of last year, and yeah, the sadness like it didn't finish with the funeral. Yeah, it didn't finish. You know, with the end of 2021. Yeah, and I just we just continued to you know hit milestones. Her birthday was in January, um, and you know my birthday Mm -hmm. was a few weeks ago, and. Mm And it's just that every one of those, my dad and, you know, even trying to talk to him, there's just a lot of sadness. Yeah. A lot yeah. of sadness. And, and I, at the same time, like my mom was great. I have, she was a perfect mom for me. I have I've, uh, but the, really the depths of sadness I think is the, yeah, what I'm discovering.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: Another it's, it's layer rare. of it, too, is that what what our listeners may know is Kevin and I were actually on vacation celebrating my dad's 75th yeah. birthday in Mexico, got a phone call that we knew that she had COVID, but got a phone call that she was not doing well. And then it was like 24 hours later that she was yeah. gone. And so it was fast. I mean, it, it was like wild how quickly... Got COVID. We were told it wasn't going well, and then just the news that she had passed away. And you got to say goodbye to your mom over the sure, phone. Sure. Can you talk about that a little bit?
2: Yeah, when we went on our trip, there was we knew she wasn't doing great. But even my mom at the time was like, "Oh, just go, just like,
6: go, have yeah, fun. She, you just yeah. go
2: have fun." And and we weren't we were only gone a few days, and, and so that's how rapidly she declined. Yeah, and so yeah, I mean, I, I think. He, I don't really have a lot of guilt around that. I, be, my mom and I had a good relationship yeah. and I don't know um but it, yeah, it was hard to not be there mm-hmm. uh, mainly for you know my dad, and my mm-hmm. my other sisters and um to be there in those moments and um yeah, it's it's one of those things where like I I have I'm very optimistic view on life. Yeah. And um and I have, yeah, no questions about the goodness of God towards me and towards mm-hmm. my family and and in general. Um, but yeah, it's just like learning to live with this, uh, like this sad, you know, like this sadness that's real. Yeah, um, yeah. And I, I, yeah, I don't, I don't totally know what to do with. But mm-hmm. I know to ignore it um, is not helpful. Yeah. And there's just like a new sense of you know exhaustion that that i'm learning to live with
1: yeah it's interesting you say that that you have no doubt about the goodness of god because i think a lot of people even hearing you talk about this or walking through their own journey would say, but your mom died out yeah. of nowhere from COVID. How can you not doubt the goodness of God? Can you actually like speak pastorally to that listener right now who might be doubting the goodness of God? They've walked through something like you've walked through or just did their own personal pain. How do you keep that sense of faith?
2: Yeah, I think, I mean, it starts from uh, at least really just a position of like, I personally have you know, just experience God's goodness in my life, I, mm-hmm. I can describe to you just tangibly how I know God is good, where it's not just a theological statement. Yeah. Um. Although it is, and that's really important. And there's times that people need to cling to it. But I, I really, you know, have like, God has been really good to me and he's cared for me and I've, I've seen it and he's changed my life in ways and he's provided for, for me and, in in so many ways, and I could imagine my life going in a far worse direction, mm. if not for the goodness and of, of Jesus Christ in my life. So yeah. it, it really is just a, uh, I've had an experience mm-hmm. and this is, you know, I was blind, but now I see. Mm. And, and, and so it, so yeah, it starts from there being, yeah, really, I, I do have a, a, a real relationship with Jesus. That, yeah. Uh, yeah. That I, and I know he's good to me. Yeah, and then I think you know, out of that, I, I do like the scriptures. Like God, these this is God is not the one to blame mm. uh, for what happened to my mom, mm. and uh, there's a reason that you know our hope is one day the new creation, all tears will be wiped away. Those are just tears of sadness over uh, just loss, yeah, uh, painful yeah. losses. And so I know God isn't the one to blame, and He's ultimately one day going to do something about it. Mm. So personally. I felt the goodness of God, and I feel it, and and then I know theologically Mm -hmm. there's a there's a bigger picture going on, and and so but you cling to those things um, while you wrestle with the sadness, and
1: yeah. Yeah, that's good, Kevin. And then um, just one more quick question. I, I think what's been interesting for me to see as your wife is you and I grieve really differently. Like <laughs> yeah. I am I am a yeah. feeler. I sob. I go through old mementos. And you've been a quiet griever. And that yeah. has surprised me. Like I feel like sometimes I'm like, when is Kevin going to crack and have like the Aubrey Samson yeah, yeah. grief? But we grieve differently. And I think that's important for listeners to hear too that like everyone's grief everyone grieves in their own way um and that's good like we can celebrate sure. that and that's okay I, again i thought i had a question out of that i don't really i think the point i just wanted to make was like i've had to learn to let you yeah. grieve and yeah. walk with you as you grieve even though you're not doing it the way i think you should be grieving
2: yeah and i don't know if i'm doing it right uh, <laughs> partly not, yeah you're doing it great you know there. yeah my mom dies mm-hmm. and the way I typically grieve, or you know, really deal with stress and all that, is just through long bike rides, yeah. like hard uh, exercise and things like that. And and so my mom dies, and I actually end up needing to have back surgery. Right, so you haven't so, been able to do so. That. Those are just some things where I'm like, maybe I'm not grieving well, mm. and your body keeps the score. And and that was part of like what happened to my back.
1: Interesting. I haven't thought about that. We'll have to unpack that more. Well, thanks so much for sharing. I know it's vulnerable, Kevin. So thanks for, thanks for sharing and listeners. If you're hurting, we hope that encourages
2: you. Yeah. Jesus is, he's good. He's good. He really is. Yeah. And we all need to remember that. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good word, Kevin. Thanks.
1: And we are thrilled to be joined by Cameron McAllister. Cameron is the co founder of Thinking Out Loud. It's a ministry that seeks to bridge the gap between discipleship and apologetics. Cameron also co-hosts a weekly podcast that addresses current events and Christian hope. He's also the co author of Faith at Last with his dad, Stuart. I love that. I think that's so fun. He's written for a lot of different organizations, has a master's degree in apologetics, and has an event coming up that we are so excited to talk to him about. Cameron, thanks so much for being here with us today.
4: Thank you for having me. It's great to be here.
1: Hey, Cameron, for our listeners who may not be familiar with you or your ministry, can you tell us a little bit about yourself?
4: Yeah, absolutely. So thinking out loud, we really, our mission is to move apologetics out of the ivory tower and into your living room. Mm. So our, yeah, I mean, our hope is to help people talk about their faith and articulate that faith wherever they are in life. We're firmly convinced that apologetics is very important, but it's not just for doctors, scientists, lawyers, and philosophers, but it's for every single one of us. And so we're very committed to that, thinking out loud. Love that.
2: Cameron, you have an event coming up um, around deconstruction. Tell us about that.
4: Absolutely. So the the event is this Friday, April 1st, at 6.30 p.m. Central Time at Branch Community Church. And yeah, the title that I was given is Deconstructing Evangelicalism.
0: Hmm. So
4: we're gonna, Yeah. So it's, a, I think a very urgent question mm-hmm. for a lot of people. And so we're going to be looking at history and we're going to be looking at scripture and how we can stay firm in our faith, even in very turbulent times.
1: And Cameron, with that in mind, you know, we're hearing a lot about deconstructionism. Brian and I talk about uh, the deconstructionist movement on the show quite a bit. Could you, for our listeners who are like, what in the world are you even talking about? Can you talk to us about both? What is deconstruction? But then you're talking about something a little bit different, deconstruction evangelicalism. So unpack both of those for us.
4: Absolutely. So... Deconstructing, as it's being used when it's applied to the faith, is a bit unique and it's a bit dynamic. People use it in different ways. Mm-hmm. So, let me offer a basic orientation or a kind of definition for that. So, okay. usually, what people mean when they say "yeah, deconstructing evangelicalism" or deconstructing faith, they mean a kind of critical re-examination of the history of their particular. Belief system mm. or faith tradition that, and we can make a distinction here as well. Deconstructionism—that's a word that some of us may be familiar with—that has its origins in French theory, right? And you can think about people like, yeah, you know, Jacques Derrida yeah. and Michel Foucault. What we're talking about here is not French deconstructionism. Yes. this is this is being used in a kind of unique way. So that can get a bit confusing, but mm-hmm. the key discipline here really is history. That's really at the forefront of deconstructing.
2: What does it look like in Christian evangelicalism?
4: Well, it looks like people face some kind of a a moral dilemma or they see let's 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 just be honest. There have been there's scandal after scandal. Sure, sure. And there I mean so there's a lot of soul searching going on. I think a kind of reckoning is taking place. Yeah. And so I think that's that's inspiring a lot of people to do some digging yep. and to look back into the history of the movement, some of the underpinnings of, of the faith. Mm-hmm. So this is not all bad. A totally. Lot this. This, yeah, some of this is some healthy seeking and searching that's going on here.
1: Yeah, I, I love that perspective because I do think mm-hmm. there's a lot of folks out there that are going, this is bad. Let's not even listen. Well, maybe there are some good questions being asked that the church needs to like, come face to face with. Um, Cameron, so you're passionate, obviously, about apologetics. I would love to hear where does apologetics fit into deconstructionism?
4: Well, apologetics is all about articulating your faith in a way that is credible to those who are either outside the church or who are struggling. And so where apologetics comes in here, I think one of the, the biggest Probably challenges facing the church right now would be hypocrisy. Yeah, mm-hmm. the picture of inconsistency that's emerging. Now, that's I have good. to add a caveat in here. I think this is really important to stress. There are a lot of scandals that are taking place, and and you know they are billboard sized scandals yeah, involving right. major leaders. But let's not forget that there are also numerous faithful, wonderful Christians and numerous wonderful churches around Mm -hmm. as well. They may not make the news, but they really are there. So I I do want to stress that also. But apologetics will help to make sense of the truth of the belief, but also the actions that follow. Mm -hmm. And ideally speaking, Christians are people where there is no division between what they say and what they do. So I think the landscape of apologetics, is changing a little bit. I think in maybe 20 years ago, a lot of the questions revolved around what do you believe? Mm-hmm. Articulate carefully what you believe and give arguments for what mm, you believe. Yeah. I think the shift has now moved to who are you mm. and why are you the way you are? So This is still apologetic, but it's it's a whole lot more holistic. Now you have to speak from the actual shape of your life. You have to actually live out your arguments. So if you say you follow Christ, you have to show you're following Christ as Mm -hmm. well, in word and in action. That's good.
2: Cameron, this event coming up on Friday, April 1st, I lead a church, and there's people in our church who are deconstructing. And uh, so this event you have coming up— uh, help us understand what, uh, why would be good for pastors, e- even Christians who are even hearing this term and wrestling with it. Uh, what are they going to walk away with um, at the event on April 1st?
4: Well, my real prayer and my hope is to that they will, first of all, feel taken seriously,
0: mm-hmm. that
4: I will be able to honor some mm-hmm. of the struggles and some of the serious questions, but also that they will walk away with the assurance that, the fallenness of human beings, and does not overshadow the grace of God. Amen. I mean, whenever you look at history, you're going to see a vast tangled web of good intentions, corruption, and also, you know, so triumph, and mm-hmm. fall and that yeah. is the nature of a fallen world. Yeah. But my hope is that we'll gain some tools for the discernment that is necessary to see the Holy Spirit's work in the midst of a very broken world. And so my hope is that they will walk away encouraged, but also with with a sense of challenge, take ownership of this moment and to do our part as well in pressing forward with the message of the gospel that would be my hope
1: Oh, I love that you can find out more about the conference that uh, we've been talking with cameron about at cs it's friday april 1st so that's this friday six thirty p.m at the branch community church in chicago it's free but uh, registration is required cameron i'd love to talk to you a little bit about your podcast that addresses current events and hope can you talk to us about it
4: absolutely so there are a lot of christian podcasts that look at culture and delve into current events but they're often pretty glasses half empty very dark yeah. very pessimistic <laughs> that's so true <laughs> right so what we want to do on thinking out loud is frame current events from the standpoint of christian hope that doesn't mean that we pretend that things are easy and going well but we want to we can say hey the cultural landscape is grim but Christ remains on his throne. Amen. How does yeah. that fundamental assumption, yeah, how does that change the way we see all of this? Mm. So it's a, it's a show about current events that aims to, to give you a spring in your step, even in the midst of the world's darkness.
1: Oh, that's so good. And Cameron, where can people find out more about you and your podcast and your ministry as well?
4: Absolutely. Well, we have a website. You can go to www.toltogether.com. That's T-O-L together. And also you can find our the Thinking Out Loud wherever you listen to podcasts.
1: We like to say wherever you cast your pods here at The Comic
4: Good. <laughs> <laughs> wherever you cast your yeah. pods.
1: <laughs> Cameron McAllister is the co-founder of Thinking Out Loud, a ministry that seeks to bridge the gap between discipleship and apologetics. He also has this event that we've been talking about coming up Friday, April 1st. Go to cslewisinstitute.org slash deconstructing dash evangelicalism to find out more. Cameron, thanks so much for being here with us today.
4: Thanks for having me.
1: And as always, we love engaging with you on social media. We are at Common Good Talk on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Love connecting with you there. Speaking of social media and screens, Kevin, I thought since you were here, this would be a a fun opportunity to talk about parenting and screen time. Man. We've got three boys. They love their screens. Yep. In fact, my guess is uh, it's their spring break right now. You and I both have to work this week, so we aren't going anywhere. Amazing. Amazing doing a, uh, what do they call it? A staycation. But for our kids, that means they get like extra screen time and they're very excited. Yep. Yeah. So our kids are on screens more than in my mind they should be. (laughs) But then I'll be very honest with our listeners. What I like about it is then I can watch what I want to watch on Netflix upstairs or, you know, you and I can chat for a while or whatever. It's a little, it's become the babysitter and I feel like it's not healthy and we got to get better at it. But also, they love it. So, okay. I don't ha, ha, let's talk about parenting and screens. What are some if our kid if your kids are overscreened, which is a, some language that over at churchleaders.com there's an article by Pete Hardesty. He talks about that. If your kids are overscreened, there are three ways to help kids make healthy choices around technology. Before we even dive into what he has to say, how can you and I do better? We got to do better. How can we well, help what our you, kids yeah, what you make think, healthy choices around their
2: screens? Yeah. What, what do you think we're not doing great at? I
1: think we're just letting them be on screens too much. And then to be honest, where I feel like I'm shirking my parenthood is I don't know what they're doing half the time on it. Like I assume they're on Roblox and I ask them and they're like, yeah, we're on Roblox. But like, <laughs> what are they doing on Roblox? Are they seeing things they shouldn't? Are they talking to people they shouldn't? Are they using language they shouldn't? Are they being exposed to things? That's where like, I don't feel like I'm enough of a watchdog as a parent and I need to get better at that. What about you?
2: I, yeah, I, we could do this on the radio show. I don't know if you and I are on the same page.
1: Oh, okay. Let's talk about that. What page are you on?
2: I'm Yeah, I'm just saying, I, I don't know if we're on the same page. It's obviously, I, I think I would be more of, I'm fine with just saying like, you only have them for an hour and a day and yeah. like go be bored some doing something else. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You're yeah. I, yeah, it's, I'm, I'm not sure where, where you would be.
1: Oh no, I'd be fine with that too. I don't think we're, I don't think we're not on the same page. I don't think either one of us are doing anything about it. Like I've never yeah, heard yeah. you say that to the kids. You only have an hour and then you, and then you um, should go be bored outside. So that's well, what so, I'm yeah, saying. We need,
2: to have a, we need to get on yeah. the same page. Okay, about, so,
5: we,
1: so this is the first yeah. lesson about parenting and screens. Yeah. Your parents, you need to be on the same page. <laughs> that would be helpful. <laughs> All right, so Kevin, over at churchleaders.com, you, again, Pete Hardesty has this article over screened, three ways to help our kids make healthy choices around technology. Here's um, some of what he has to say, because I think these are I think these are really, really helpful tips for parents. And you and I obviously need these tips as well as we're talking about this. He says that um, the first thing is to educate them. The more we can educate and dialogue with our teens on both negative and positive impact of screen time the more we can set them up for success. He talks about how in one study of over 40,000 children and adolescents found that spending more than one hour per day on technology was associated with lower psychological well-being. Those individuals exhibited less curiosity, low self-control, a decrease in emotional stability, and an increase in depression or anxiety. So if that information alone doesn't move us to get better at this, then I don't know what will. Um, A second thing that he says, Kevin, is to help kids think critically. He says, many of us have failed to model Jesus as we disciple our teens towards better screen health. Mm -hmm. When we look at Jesus as laid out to us in scripture, we see a very clear pattern of how he engaged others. He asked questions, a lot of questions. Then he goes on to say, discipleship isn't teaching or preaching. Discipleship is conversion or conversation and communication. Then the last thing he says, and then we'll kind of unpack these he says, third, help them find God. We've heard it before. Technology isn't all bad. The Internet has allowed us to expand our understanding of the world and to feel more globally connected. It has allowed creativity to flourish. But the key to a healthy relationship with our screens isn't necessarily to throw them away. Sometimes we need to transform them for good. So basically he talks about having a generation of teens who aren't just passive observers but become active participants. Okay, so is there one of those that stands out to you that you and I can get better at as parents?
2: I I mean, there's some fuzzy things. Can I ask you questions around what feels fuzzy to me? Sure, go y- ahead. Yeah, that question is, how do we use it for, how do we transform them for good? Yeah. I, mean, I think that's the... Like, that
1: feels fuzzy to you.
2: That feels like a great question. To, yeah, uh, uh, To do that. And that's where, like, it starts to get fuzzy for me. It talks about... Um, loneliness and, and isolation and mm-hmm. being on social media for extended period of times in front of a screen like increases that. I've, we've also been through a pandemic and I. That's true. There actually is a sense of connection that we've seen that people can have. Yeah. On a screen. And that's true. So, how does that work with our kids? I yeah. think our kids have a greater even need for that in a good way and it could be used for good where you know I'm I'm in my 40s I'm like I played video games and I Yeah. You don't need that to have friends but right. you can actually have real friends like how does On that work strengths. out in our home?
1: Yeah, how does that work out in our home? I think that's the question that we're asking. I'm asking
2: you Aubrey what what do you think?
1: Um, how does that work out in our home? I think probably we need to have friends over in real life. And if they want to play video games, they're doing it uh, alongside or they're playing board games instead of video games or uh, something like that. I'm not sure. I don't, I don't, you know, it's something I'm definitely thinking about. I appreciate what this person said about, um, about helping find them good as, as well. Kevin, I think that's something that we could think about with our own kids is like, what would it look like? These are some of the questions he's asking. What would it look like to use screen time, not for scrolling, but for greater impact and good? Have conversations with kids and engage them with the questions. Um, what are some of your favorite stuff to look at? Who is creating the content you like? Why do you like that? Why do you like it? And then maybe begin encouraging them to step into a story of making the world better with the things that they like around technology. I do think the like the main thing is, It's not going away. Like, I think this person's Mm -mm. right that you can't just say to your kids, don't ever be on any screens because that's how kids are connecting, like you said, and building relationships and playing. I think for me, the concern is the anxiety, the loneliness, the depression, and like the lack of creativity. And how can we target that? How can we take that energy and, and use it in a meaningful way for our kids? That's something that I'm, I'm wrestling with right now. If you were um, preaching a sermon on this, what would you be telling parents?
2: There, we all need more time together.
5: Mm. That's
2: the, that's the long and short of it. Yeah. Uh, Real time. Yeah. Real time on walks. Yeah. On playing together. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, really, that's what rest, uh, Sabbath is really about prayer and play. And so it's good. how do you, how does technology get in the way of of that prayer and playtime yeah. together as a family? And and that's how I would, that's what I would preach something around Position that. Position it like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, that's
1: good. That's good. How can it be more playful, more connecting and not be the thing that dominates your kids' lives? I think those are good questions for all of us to consider. Coming Lord up next? help us. That's right. That's right. Lord
0: help us as parents. That's serious.
1: Can't do it without. Can't do without God's help.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for some.
1: Well, um, we're gonna do. I'm gonna invite you, Kevin, to do one of Brian and my favorite things to do, and that's something we do at the end of every show. We just like to put a smile on people's face or give them something inspiring or challenging. And so, one of our favorite places to go for that is a website called the Good News Network. Where it's a website they literally just compile good, happy stories because in this day and age, I mean, you know, we didn't even cover the war today. There's so much devastation continuing to happen in Ukraine. If you look around the world, there's so much heartache. We're mindful of that. We're praying about that. We're bringing that to you all the time on The Common Good. But every once in a while, we want to take a little breather and send you away each evening with something that just puts a smile on your face. So we're going to read some stories from uh, goodnewsnetwork.org. I'll share the first one. Here's a story called Forget Harry Potter's Cloak. What? Listen, a real-life invisibility shield is taking orders on Kickstarter... Kevin, we're going to need this. All right. Here's the story. Forget Harry Potter's cloak. A British company claimed to have made a real life invisibility shield. London based invisibility shield. Co says the fully functioned shield can hide a whole person. The firm explains the innovation uses a precision engineered lens array to direct much of the light reflected from the subject away from the observer. This sends it sideways across the face of the shield to the left and the right. From the observer's perspective, (laughs) background light is effectively smeared horizontally across the front face of the shield over the area where the subject would ordinarily be seen. They say the shield performs at their absolute best against uniform backgrounds such as grass, rendered wall, sand, sky and asphalt. Here's what this makes me think of. In some of the Avengers movies, they're in a jet where they turn on like the invisibility shield and the panel switch. And they're almost like mirrors that reflect the sky. So it just looks like a, a cloud and the sky flying through the sky. That's what this sort of uh, makes you think of. And there's actually pictures if you go to uh or goodnewsnetwork.org, where people are hiding behind these <laughs> shields and they work. It's crazy. So anyway, that's, that's a fun story. We might need to invest in those. All right, Kevin, do you have something to share with us?
2: I, I do. I won't comment on, on that. Go check that story out. okay Also, good news for coffee lovers. There's trends where researchers now are able to actually see that there is p- potential for coffee to actually help Health. It doesn't necessarily contribute to dangerous heart rhythms and uh, and killing us. It actually can help uh, act as a shield, a protective shield to heart disease, and uh, really help us um, in in great ways. So there are some benefits that researchers are discovering to drinking coffee. I I know for a lot of you. coffee is a big part of your life. Yes. And, and so yes, this drink is drink on my friends.
1: I'm going to say something real quick, Kevin. We, one of our marriage, uh, I wouldn't call it a conflict, but like a rub mm. is Kevin's not a coffee drinker. He's not a hot drink drinker. And so I'm always like, oh, I long for the day. We can have a hot cup of coffee together <laughs> and we just can't. So now maybe for your own health, you can yeah, start yeah, drinking yeah. coffee yep. with me. I'm, All not right. against, I'm not against it. Yeah. You're just not necessarily for it. Okay. Here's another story. The world, Kevin, you're going to like this. The world's biggest treehouse resort is opening near a famous U.S. national park. For those of you in the audience who grew up watching Swiss Family Robinson, which you did, Kevin, a new resort in Tennessee will jump to the top of your destination list. 130 treehouses are slated to be built over the next few years in the Great Smoky Mountains National Park, representing the largest treehouse resort on earth. It's called Sanctuary Treehouse Resort. And the idea came when an intergenerational entrepreneur, Tennessee family called the Jensens, decided that since their children were all grown up, they would rent out their childhood tree fort as such things were becoming popular glamping opportunities. Once they saw how popular it was becoming, they decided to turn 40 acres into the largest collection of tree houses and tree forts in the world. Mm. There are plans for three types of treehouse rentals the really? tree fort. The Tree Fort Double and the Luxe Tree Fort will accommodate two to six guests and feature unique amenities such as spiral slides. Doubles will feature unique ways to link the rooms mounted on different trees such as rope bridges and even draw bridges. Kevin, we got to go on a family vacation there.
2: That sounds a lot of that sounds like fun.
1: Sounds awesome. All right. Do you have another story for us?
2: Yeah, this is uh, this is good news in really hard situations as millions of Ukrainian women and children are taking refuge in other European nations this company in, uh, in Europe called Media Brands Content Studio in Denmark is warming hearts mm. by creating children's books for Ukrainian speakers called, like, Welcome to Denmark. Oh, that's and cool. And it, it really helps introduce refugees to the country, hi- highlighting the cultural similarities of the two cultures, and really just trying to help make the refugees feel safer and more at ease. Oh, I love that. that. I love is, that. Really creative and incredibly important. And I couldn't imagine being a refugee in those circumstances. Oh, I know. But to be able to have a tool like that. Yeah. And,
1: yeah, that's so good. What a good story. incredible. All right, here's another one. Gordon Ramsay shocks school cafeteria manager who called into talk show asking for a substitute chef for the day. A shorthanded school cafeteria manager called into BBC Radio 2 talk show asking for help in her kitchen. Everyone was stunned by what happened next. Tina Clark had been listening to celebrity chef Gordon Ramsay talk about his latest TV show, Future Food Stars. Tina told the host, Vernon Kay she was cooking on her own at Edward, Edward Peak Middle School. One of her cooks was out sick and the alternative staff member was unavailable after testing positive for COVID. Tina then cheekily asked for Ramsay to come help her in the kitchen later today when she needed to prepare 300 uh, meals for 300 students. Guess who showed up? Who? Gordon Ramsay himself. Actually, he didn't show up himself, but he sent one of his head chefs, Rob Roy Cameron. The school was very, very excited. The food tasted amazing and uh, made made Gordon Ramsay look pretty good. That's yeah, pretty that is cool. incredible. not cool? That is incredible. All right, Sampa, you got one more for us?
2: Huge news. Good Kate. news. A London lawyer has set a new record for the fastest ever female solo row across the Atlantic no way. Ocean. That's cool in an effort to show women and girls that anything is possible.
1: Anything is possible, Her name ladies. Is
2: Victoria Evans rode into Barbados on Thursday, 22-foot-long rowboat, 40 days at sea. She's 35 years old. Come on. And she set out, and she had no idea how bad she was going to slash the old record, and she broke it by nine days. No and way. Yeah, she's raising money for the UK charity Women in the Sport but Victoria Evans You're incredible
1: Wow that I feel like she might be the woman You should have married Kevin because I would never do Anything (laughs) like that but I know that's kind of That's your kind of thing that is awesome All right we got one more story Living near a leafy green park Cuts the risk of stroke for 3.5 Million people Apparently, scientists have discovered that living near a leafy green area cuts your risk of stroke. Their research shows that people who live less than 328 yards from a green space are at 16% lower risk from a stroke. People who are surrounded by greater levels of greenery at their place of residence Mm. are protected against the onset of stroke. This is fascinating. The findings indicate there's a clear relationship between level of pollutants in the atmosphere and the risk of having a stroke. That makes sense. So basically, a lesson for all of us is move closer to a park or a woods or something like that. Well, hug, we a, tree. Hope, yeah, hug a tree. There you go, Kevin. There you go. The old wisdom is still true. Well, we hope that um, you those stories put a smile on your face. Thanks so much for joining us today. We'll be back again tomorrow from 4 to 6 p.m. with another special co-host, my friend, Dan Erman. For Kevin Sampson, I'm Aubrey Sampson, and you've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life